Welcome back to Call Him Mama. This week, we're going to switch it up a little bit, and we're going to talk about books. I know it's not what we usually talk about, but this is for our English class. So, <laughs> Colby, we needed to pass. <laughs> Colby, do you want to start us off by briefly summarizing what book we read and just the okay. gist of it? So... We read I'll Be Gone in the Dark, um, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer by Michelle McNamara, which is a, well, thrilling would be the right word? Thrilling. Thril a thrilling crime novel about her hunt for the Golden State Killer and the investigations and cases that in were involved in that. All right, so we're going to start off by asking some questions to each other. All right, Colby. How do you think McNamara's childhood affected the search for the killer? Okay, so she was brought up in a home with a bunch of other siblings, and a lot of them were a lot older than her, and she was generally treated as, like, I'm not sure what the right word is. She was definitely always, from a young age, very intelligent and more on the shy side because everyone else was so much older than her. Right. Which I think, like, from that alone, that predisposed her to be more of a shy, like, less social person, which, while that, on some level, that almost predisposed her to want to focus on, like, stuff that isn't talked about as much. Right, but how do you think, like, the murder next door or, like, around her neighborhood yeah. affected, like, how she became so invested in this investigation? I was going to say, that was, I was first talking about the predisposition, but now that I think that is probably the bigger, much, much bigger influence was that whenever she was a, what was it, 14, I think they said? Something, yeah. So 14. Around 14, like in her early teenage years, someone was murdered in her neighborhood, and they never really figured out who did it, or at least not immediately. And I think that idea of, like, that lack of justice being able to be brought about and, like, the mystery behind it all is what got her so invested in it. And to have it happen so close to home mm -hmm. was probably the thing that pushed her over the ledge to get her invested in this. Exactly. And that's really what I thought about. As soon as I read that, I was like, wow, like this just goes to show that that's how she became so obsessed with finding the killer of, you know, the Golden State killer. So. Okay. All right. Um, for our next question, um, Marissa. Was it hard for you to keep up with all of the details and locations that Michelle continued to repeat throughout the novel? So I personally, it was hard for me to like keep up and like differentiate the different places that she was talking about because as she went through her first part of the novel, she was talking about all the different victims and like where they were from. And then she would like go back and forth between locations. And there were like, four, I think four prominent locations that she talked about around like the same area. And it was just hard for me to like keep like sense of which location and which victims were in that location. Like it was difficult. I don't know about you. I will say given she managed to give enough detail for me to, like distinguish which locations were which, but I couldn't like keep a mental track of where they were in relation to each other. Right. Which part of that is probably just because we're from Pennsylvania, not California. Yeah. But I like could not actually comprehend where these different places were, what it meant. And I couldn't comprehend and it until I saw like the maps at the end of the book. And it was like, a I was say the maps, the maps helped out a lot. That really did a lot for me and made me understand this a bit better. And I'm glad that they were included. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So who is the intended audience of the novel and how did Michelle appeal to that audience? Okay. Um, in my personal opinion, I think that the actual intended audience wasn't any like particular group of people. Mm -hmm. The only limiters I think that were on like the audience was like the actual content of it, content of it and the diction made it so that it was obviously meant for an older audience, like above, like our age and above at right. least. Um, so like, I guess adult or educated would be the audience she was aiming at, but any more restrictive than that, like it's not restricted to a group of people, to a certain like vocation or anything. It's meant for everyone. And I think how she appeals to that is primarily. <laughs> Seize the bells. Um, so I think she primarily appeals to that, though, by really keeping it logical and keeping it based in credibility and logic without going so far as to just bore you with statistics. She makes right. sure that it's descriptive enough, has enough sustenance behind it and a bit of emotional um, context. And I'm not really sure what the right I word agree. I think she did a great job at like diff like um, using like details and using statistics at the same time. But like she would like use statistics and then she would back it up with some details about like the place that she was talking about and i think it kept like the reader like in it you know what i mean yeah. um when like the intended audience i felt like at the end of the novel when um the two guys were talking about like the last email that she wrote or like an email that she wrote and they were like one idea I had was to include some of those in the book to offer the reader the chance to play detective. And I think that that's one of the, like, that's the intended audience is to keep people like obsessed and wanting to read more. And I don't know, people that are that's, interested in crime, like she wants them to well, like, I think feel that through this. I was going to say, I feel like that's why I think it's all, such a broad audience is because she's not specifically aiming at people who like crime. She's aiming at everyone to get them to like crime novels. Right. So... I think that that's her. All right, Mama Cooper, for our next question, how does the author's choice to structure the novel into three distinct parts contribute to her overall argument? I'm sorry, there's someone. I you think that the three parts were very helpful. The first part basically was her just going over all the victim's stories and the details and the evidence that was found before she even started being obsessed with the killer and then the second part was her just going through the motions with what was his name paul paul with paul and then they went to different places in california and were looking at the different crime scenes and stuff and then the third part was after she died and the two guys basically summed up the evidence that they that michelle didn't get to put into words and i thought that that was very helpful and contributing to her argument in total because i mean the parts just work together to help her investigation and trying to find them. And then they found the killer at the end of the book and afterward. And Michelle was a big part of that. I think it also makes it really easy to navigate the book as far as knowing, like if you're looking back through, you're reading back through it, trying to find something, it's super easy. No, right. Because and, you know where to go. And I was oh. even thinking that. I was like, okay, why are there different like colored pages in here? And then I went and looked at like, oh, part one. And then I was reading through part one and I was like, 
oh, so then part two must be like she's either dead because I read the back of the book yeah, or yeah. she's going through some other things. So I thought that was all right. helpful. Um, so, Colbus, how does the author's word choice and fluctuations in formality contribute to the rhetorical value of the novel? Okay. Bit of a different style of question there, but here is my interpretation of it, is that for the most, for the majority of the book, she sticks primarily to logic and to credibility-based things. Like, she doesn't really dip into the emotions all that right. much, which is primarily because given that this is a story about something that really happened, she needs to present the facts and make it look very, I'm trying to think of the right word, without it looking like it's biased in any way. It mm -hmm. needs to be factual. It needs to be correct. Right. So that she can act accurately portray the story of the Golden State Killer and the various monikers that he took on to the audience. So for the majority of the book, the diction, while not super advanced, is clearly advanced enough that she can accurately portray this from an investigator and detective standpoint. But then the few times that she does embrace emotion, the diction and it almost dips in formality a bit so that she can more accurately on a person-to-person -person level explain how that affects someone, not just how a detective investigates that, right. but how a victim goes through that, how the victim's family goes through that, and even on some points, how the killer felt. Right. So she that kind of fluctuation allows her to accurately convey those more emotional responses without giving up the logical, like the necessary logical basis of the novel. I 100% agree. And I think that her using some like details and stuff like that are somewhat emotional and using them in different ways with the facts definitely helps her contribute to her argument. All right, Mama Cooper, what rhetorical strategies does Michelle use to convey the purpose of her novel? Um, Michelle uses a lot of different ones. She uses anecdotes in the beginning of her novel to discuss all of the victims that the, I guess, what is it, East Area Rapist? East Area Rapist, the Visalia Ransacker, and the Golden State Killer. Right, and then the, wasn't it like and the And then original, the Night Stalker. Oh, the Night original Stalker Night Stalker. and original Night right. Stalker. So she used a, a bunch of, of anecdotes about different families and women who were assaulted and later on killed. And she uses repetition. She repeats a lot of the um, important details about the killer. Um, any others that you could think of? Um, all right, so you mentioned oh, oh, anecdotes uses, and repetition. Sorry, she uses logic throughout the whole thing. You know, using credibility, using credible sources and like investigators and... She really uses a lot of expert testimony as well, getting Correct. detectives to come in and using their stories to um, tell the story of the novel. And that really helps contribute as far as making her novel seem very much based in statistics and logic, and it keeps it away from being just a biased story or almost a fictional story. Right. It keeps it very real, very realistic, grounded, and I think it really helps. And it conveys the purpose of her novel because it's, you know. Yeah. Um, on top of that, also her personal anecdote uh, towards the beginning about her as a kid really helps to sell the point and really conveys the purpose of her novel as far as getting involved and that kind of dedication towards the truth. And investigating the killer and trying to figure out 
who the face of the killer is, you know? Of course. So it loses its power. That's what she tells us. So now we're going to go into the ad break. Colby, have you ever spent years obsessively searching for a killer? Does this search negatively affect your sleep schedule and make it hard for you to catch some Z's? Of course. Obsessive orange juice may be the key to staying up at late hours of the night when investigating killers and searching for clues. Wait, I've never even heard of this. Oh, with 40% less sugar and 8% more caffeine than regular orange juice, obsessive OJ is guaranteed to be three times more healthy and ten times more likely to keep you up at night compared to regular coffee. I And you know I who uses that. this every day? You? No, Matthew <laughs> Greg Luke Googler. <laughs> he is a star on Criminal Minds, and let me just tell you, he stays up at night. So, and he drinks this obsessive OJ. Yeah. All right, with the offer code OBOJ59, get your get up to fifty percent off your first order of a twelve pack. With free shipping, that's OBOJ59 for 50% off on your first you know order with free shipping. You gotta be up when those killers aren't so that you can make sure you can catch them, right? Exactly. And, and that's what Obsessive OJ helps you do. That's what I'm saying. All right, Colby. What stylistic elements does Michelle use throughout the novel that make her unique to other authors? Ooh, there's a lot of those. Okay, so as far as style with Michelle... She has this tendency whenever she's writing. Um, I think we already mentioned it before. She uses a lot of description. She's very descriptive as an author. And whenever she's telling the cases, um, especially in the first part of the novel, she manages to tell them more like a story mm -hmm. rather than a review. Yet she uses evidence throughout. And yet she's still able to pull through that evidence and to show what, like, what happened um, from an unbiased standpoint while still portraying the story in the way that it happened mm -hmm. in the perspective of the people who suffered through it. Right. So really, really unique stylistic choice that I've never seen anywhere else before like this. Like I've read a couple other true crime novels. It is either a straight up story and it's yes. just going through that, or it's just a case review. Right. I've not seen this unique blend that Michelle is able to pull off where she takes elements of the story narrates it like a story, but still pulls through the evidence that is necessary to make it like a case review and to give off that necessary detail. You know, I never really thought about it like that. That's like really interesting, a really interesting way to think about it. Like, I don't know. She just uses like so many like details when she's talking about her story. Like it is a story, like the anecdotes are a story, but then she brings in facts and then she contributes that to the investigation. She's like, oh, well, this shows that the killer is this, this, and this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that story was interesting to the reader, yet it's, like, true, and it's, like, investigation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also on another level, she manages... The other thing that I noticed is that she tends primarily towards, as far as, like, structure-wise, towards a bit longer paragraphs. Right. They're not super short. But at the same time, they're not, like, run-ons by, by any means. Right. They're concise and do their point. But then she'll interject it with smaller little paragraphs that almost embolden. Like, they're always for important statements that she'll always push through like that. Exactly. And it's, again, something else that I noticed about it and that she likes to do that a lot. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, for our next question, uh, Mama Cooper, <laughs> how does Michelle's relative lack of use for pathos contribute to her overall argument 
And when she does use emotional appeals, how does it reflect a change within the novel? Okay, so her lack of the use of pathos and appeal to her emotion, like to emotions of the reader and the audience, I think that really like helps her because she's more appealing to logic and not so much being like, oh, well, this is a sad story. Like, I want you to feel bad for all the victims. And like, she's using her logic to tell about the investigation instead of being like, oh, this is a story. And I think that when she uses emotional appeals, she uses it in the anecdotes and she makes the reader, like personally, I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe that the killer did this to like these families and locked these children into different bedrooms and just like raped these mothers like in front of everyone. And I was like, wow, like that's really like sad, but I don't think she did that. Like, like she was trying to appeal to emotion. I think she was just telling the story in a way that you know Accurately what I mean? reflected, yes. I think though those few times whenever she describes it in a story-like basis tend to be whenever the emotion signs, shines through the most because it's conveying what those victims went through. Right. Um, but mainly what I notice is that the change within the novel that's reflected by the use of these emotional appeals is usually whenever she's drifting away from the harder facts, the actual investigation itself, talking more and about more details? into its impact, the impact of what the Golden State Killer did and why it's important. Okay, yeah. All right. So how does McNamara utilize repeti repetition throughout the novel in order to generate a distinct image of the Golden State Killer? I feel like this is a pretty um, notable question that you'll realize as soon as you read the novel how often it is. Pretty much every case, she finds a way to reincorporate how they describe the killer or before he was the killer, the rapist, or before he was the rapist, the ransacker. And it's always that same thing of being, oh, he's like 5'9 to 5'10, blonde, really pale, skinny, um, like very skinny, not exact, like they said, I think it's swimmer's build, so like lean. Kind of look, like not skin though. and bone. Right. Um, and always described him like that. Always said that he was wearing ski masks, described him in the same outfit, same tone of voice. Right. Um, and she, using this repetition, she's able to, before she makes it clear that the ransacker, the rapist, the night stalker, and the Golden State Killer are all the same person, before it's clear that it's made that she reuses that repetition again and again and again to try and nail it into the reader's mind that, oh, these are the same people. Right. I agree. Hi, Mama Koopa. So, I'm just readjusting myself here. Um, what is the true message of this book? And how do you feel after reading it? Like, what do you think is the main point that McNamara and the other editors and authors were trying to push. I think that Michelle really wanted readers to get involved in the investigation and to, and like at the end of her book, she was like, oh, well, like we still don't know who the killer is, but I want everyone to be involved with this and like technically search for the killer too, even though they did find it in the afterward. But um, I think that she really just wanted readers to get involved in her obsessive search and like, portray why she was so invested and like and i'm after reading the book 
Um, I felt really involved as well. Not that I'm going to go search for some killers, but I think that this really like opened my eyes to like serial killers in a different way than what crime shows do um, because of how personal it was to Michelle. Um, Colby? Okay. I think I got a slightly different message, though I definitely see what it is. She's definitely calling out to the readers to do something to become more involved. But I think it is it shouldn't be limited to just this case. I think on a bit more of a broader context that she's calling her readers to essentially um, realize the importance of the pursuit and dedication towards the truth. Mm -hmm. Whatever that truth is, whether it's the truth about this killing, about another, about another serial killer, about something that's not even related to serial killers. It's huh. about seeking truth. Huh. And that's what she's trying to get her readers dedicated and obsessed with, is getting into that same mindset that she was in. Because obsessed is the right word. She was doing this day and night all the time, looking for someone who she had never met before and who she probably, and well, never met in person. Right. But I feel like she also was but like... she knew him due to her search and that dedication towards trying to find the truth about who this was, who this man was, who could do all these horrible things. That's what she's trying to get the readers to do is to get to be like her, to be dedicated towards whatever their truth is. Yeah, but I also feel like she was like, this took up like my entire life and she spent literally almost all of her life searching for this guy and like, was it a waste? Absolutely not. I think that that's what she's trying to convey is that it's never a waste. Because even here, like, she was going to end it by, like, originally they said that the hypothesized end was meant to be that. It was a hypothesis of what it would be like whenever he's arrested. Right. And I think that that's meant to portray how even though, yeah, she's not, the killer's not been found. She has yet to find him by the time she was finished writing and ended up passing away. Mm -hmm. But that didn't mean that it was nothing that it was worthless. That pursuit and dedication towards finding her version of the truth, finding justice in this case for her, and justice for those victims and finding out the truth, yeah. that was what was important. And the fact that she was so dedicated and able to make progress is the point itself, and that's important. All right, Colby, I know you've talked a lot this entire podcast, but I do have one more question for you. How do you connect this novel and its content to the to other aspects of your own life or the world at large? I think you had mentioned it um, earlier with, like, the... We mentioned earlier with, like, true crime novels and criminal shows, right? right. Um, as far as how I connect it on a basic level, it's I was able to connect it to all of those prior experiences. And... As far as that goes, that's a pretty basic level of connecting it. It's just like, oh, I it reminds me of the show or all these things I used to do. But on a deeper level, it's kind of more reminiscent of the pursuit of knowledge almost and what that can do to someone and how that reflects in them. And I connect to that as far as my pursuit of knowledge, not necessarily in criminal activities, but... Um, a personal thing, I really, really am interested in, like, science as far as it applies to health and biology. Right. And I was very involved in that and really got into researching that kind of stuff and researching ways that we could, like, 
figure out stuff like learning about like upcoming medicines and stuff like that. And that pursuit of knowledge, this book reminded me of that. Mm -hmm. Like her obsessiveness over finding the, the answer that she needed reminded me of me finding the answers that I needed for that. And you could even go deeper as far as not necessarily about other sciences or other parts of life. It could be stretched to uh, more personal development, stuff like that, like finding who you're meant to be. That's and deep. That's deep. As far as how that connects, I could easily see like the same thing within myself. I can, I'm assuming most people can see it within themselves right. in some way of their own pursuit to better themselves and to find their own truth could easily be connected to how she was looking for an answer. All of us have probably looked for an answer like that at some point. So that is my main connection that I see is how that pursuit, that back and forth kind of deal, how that connects to us. All right, friends, we're gonna take a little trip to France in a little segment I like to go questions of the week, baby. All right. So our question of the week is, I hope I was not too loud. <laughs> Jared probably heard me. Um, <laughs> what is your opinion on the book? Okay. Quick I, and brief. Yes, quick and brief. Okay. I loved it. I, the thrill of reading it, it was just suspenseful enough to keep me entranced without being like a horror novel or anything like that. Um, again, as we already mentioned, kept it pretty logical, but was able to really embrace and show the emotions behind the victims and the and McNamara uh -huh. and all the other investigators and the families and the killer. Really, really good. I loved it. Okay, well, I have a more unpopular opinion. I liked the book. I thought that it was very interesting and that she was like going through her investigation. I really liked the first part with the anecdotes and talking about the victims and stuff. But then as it went on to like the second part, I don't know if it was because I was like reading it so fast or I was just like almost out of time. Um, <laughs> but the second part really lost me. And I know that's where kind of like it came to like, oh my gosh, like she's now like actively searching for the killer like in california and in the places where the killer was killing but i was just so lost in some points and i was like where is she going and who is she talking to and what is she doing? all of yes and all of the detectives were getting all clustered together and i was like okay so where does this leave us but then i really liked the third part where they put all of her findings together and ended the book in a way that was surprising to me um emotionally they, impactful yeah it was really surprising to me how they didn't find the killer excuse the bell okay how they didn't find the killer and how they were like oh well if you're a reader like you should obsessively search for this for the killer as well yes. i thought that was really interesting and i've never read a book that ended in a way like that that kind of left it a bit like, more open-ended a bit more open-ended um i especially like the appendix at the end very very briefly at the end where um mcnamara's husband actually gave some final words as far as how she connected to the case and as far as the actual solving of the case which two years after this book or this book was published but two years after mcnamara died they actually found the killer and a lot of her work really contributed to it right so 
I really thought that was probably amongst the most powerful parts of the book where he reflects on what that meant to her, the investigation, what it meant to her and almost reflecting on like, Oh, I wish she had been alive to see this because she would have been so proud of herself. Right. Exactly. And I think that a large part of that was her doing and her investigating and her persistence in the case. Um, all right. So thank you guys for tuning in today to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed our little, it was a little different today, but, you know, we can't gossip every day. We can't be toxic not. every day. But remember. We'll be toxic all, again next time. Yeah, always stay toxic. Block him first. <laughs> Cheat on him first. And remind him that this is how it ends for you. <laughs> wow. He used the book. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.